Welcome back to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Those of you who are still with us, we appreciate you sticking it out with us. Got some actually good feedback uh, on the last episode, aside from the intro, which had uh, universally great feedback. Thanks to Andy Dorita for that one. Um, but uh, you like us being critical, so that's good. And we're going to continue to be critical when it warrants it. I'm Sean Fitz. That's Tyler Donahue. We are back to talk Penn State, Wisconsin, coming at you noon on Saturday from Beaver Stadium, where the lots are closed. And it's it's going to be a bit of a cluster. Yeah. And by the way, if, you, if you'd prefer an easy listening, drama-free, fun-filled radio, Radio, uh, I'd recommend maybe finding an Alabama podcast. I'm sure they're they got plenty of good things to talk about over there. But uh, you know, here we're going to spit the truth the best we can, be analytical and critical. And there's certainly been a lot of that. And um, yeah, I got to also tip the cap to those folks who have stayed with us and, uh, and Wisconsin coming to town. And let's just say their fan base uh, can very much be empathetic with the Penn State fan base right now. The Wisconsin podcast probably pretty similar, um, except a little bit more running of the football. But uh, yeah, two teams that you earmarked this game heading into the season as partic- uh, potentially the the preview of the Big Ten championship game, one of the best regular season Big Ten games out there. And then ten weeks in, you've got two six and three teams who are sort of limping to the finish line. Of course, Wisconsin still has a shot at the Big Ten West, an outside shot at the Big Ten West title. Uh, Penn State's hopes have have sailed on that uh, on that in the East. But it's uh, it's been a tough season for both. I think the the expectations, you know, where you're talking about records and, and all that stuff. Wisconsin, I think, was number four um, in the preseason rankings. So might be a little bit more disappointment on their end. But Penn State, uh, you know, anywhere from that nine and three to that 11 and two. But it just haven't looked good doing it still. You know, nine and three still on the table. Just have not looked good. Um, it's been a frustrating last six weeks of the season for Penn State since that Ohio State lost things just out of sorts. And, and it's really not been great football to watch no it's it's certainly been um you know a, a slide uh, a slide in terms of of consistency from this team and you know through three and a half quarters of the ohio state game it seemed like they were in a good spot and, and we know what has transpired since then and off the bye week and um yeah they're they gonna really have to you know uh button up i mean and, and it's going to be across the board i think you know there did seem to be good attitude on the football field uh during the brief practice glimpse that we got on Wednesday I have a feeling this team is going to come together uh and and produce a good week overall I don't think they've you know kind of rolled on on their stomachs and uh after that Penn State game and then they're packing it in for the rest of the season I think there's a lot at stake in these next three games in terms of uh you know because you are bringing back a ton of players next year in terms of just establishing that momentum putting yourself in position. Um, I know the fans aren't really keen on talking about bowl games as much as they used to be because the college football playoff is such the central conversation. But look, you can get to a marquee bowl game at three, at nine and three with the, with the Penn State fan base that travels. That's an attractive team to grab. But if you lose this game and you stumble your way into Rutgers and Maryland, even if you come up with two wins there, uh, you know, the season's going to be very much defined, uh, you know, by back-to-back losses at Michigan and Wisconsin. Um, and, and the bowl possibilities start to shrink in terms of getting an opportunity to go against another good opponent because you can earn your right to go face, uh, you know, another ranked opponent potentially in, in late December, early January. And, and that presents an opportunity for Penn State, you know, to make a late statement and to kind of shake off a, a lot of the inconsistencies we've seen. But all that's easier said than done. Penn State's hurting right now. Wisconsin, although they're coming off a victory over Rutgers, they didn't look right in that game. And, and you said it, you know, when we saw this game on the schedule, we talked about it back in August, really felt like, you know, maybe both these teams come in with one loss or one of them can roll in on beaten. And this would be a major ramification game for the college football playoff chase for the pursuit of a spot in Indianapolis. And really right now what it comes down is to maybe who's playing in Tampa or Orlando uh, this winter. Okay. Bowl projections have Penn State all over the place. Kind of pinstripe bowl is there. Uh, the, the Capital One Bowl, which the, the old Citrus Bowl in, in Orlando, Tax Slayer Bowl, which Penn State went to, uh, to Trace McSorley's actual debut um, uh, when, when Christian Hackenberg went down a few years ago against Georgia. Um, I, I still have mine as the Outback Bowl for really no other reason than I prefer Tampa over Orlando and Jacksonville. So we'll ride that train as long as we can. But Penn State, uh, Wisconsin is going to be a, a big one because, you know, this is 
uh, this is one that's you know eight and four, nine and three, very different season. I know everybody's uh, expectations were higher than that, but uh, nine and three looks a lot better than eight and four. Gets you to a ten win season, sort of uh, put a little band aid on, on on what's going on. Wisconsin, you know exactly what you're going to get. I mean, you know, Jonathan Taylor is going to run the football a lot. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if he got thirty carries on Saturday. Uh, it's 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 Wisconsin football. It's what they're going to do. The offensive line, not quite where it's been in the past. They've lost some some really really good players to the NFL. Um, Taylor is as good a, as good as it gets in the Big Ten, and I think just the supporting cast around him has been the 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 story for Wisconsin because you you know Taylor is is so talented. He's had so much space to run at times, and at other times, you know you don't have the play action passing game to set you up. You've got a short passing game that's that's turned the ball over. I think eight interceptions this year for Alex Hornibrook, who is still questionable. Um, and Jack Cohn, his his backup didn't look much better. So really just an offense that, that really does not have much of a flow either. Um, a ton of pressure on Penn State's front seven this week, and uh, I think rightfully so. And I think and I, and I think that's the thing that's been lost in some of this is, you know, they, they played well enough to win against Ohio State. They played well enough to win against Michigan State. Did not play well enough to win against Michigan, but that was not the problem. So the defense, you know, when you when you look at some of these score totals and you look at uh, where the letdowns have come, and, and certainly you can you can you know pick apart those those losses with with respect to the defense but the defense has been okay and i think the front seven is probably up to the challenge this week yeah uh late points against ohio state late points against michigan state late points against indiana um you know they they were able to stop that bleeding a little bit against iowa in that win and then it's so hard to judge much on defense against michigan tyler you're you're doing the painful recap again i I, it's it's become your thing with the, the quarterbacks last week and the wide receivers receivers the, the painful recap seems to be your thing and i think people have caught on to that <laughs> people don't like the painful recap you're saying uh-huh. you know it's painful for a reason all right well potential pain this saturday then because uh yeah wisconsin is going to try to hammer you on the ground and we've seen penn state you know c- come up uh in some situations whether it was the pick game the illinois game uh certainly last week where, where they're giving up 100 plus yards to, to rushers in the first half and Jonathan Taylor, more than anyone in the country lately, is capable of producing that. He leads the nation rushing yards, leads the nation in 200-yard games, three of those in each of the last two seasons. And this is a Penn State defense that I think when you look at the front seven, um, you know, James Franklin mentioned at practice on Wednesday evening, he feels like there have been positive steps um, at defensive tackle and among the linebacker group. Um, you know, th- this is going to be a major, major test uh, for those guys, whether it's Micah Parsons in there, you know, Jan Johnson, who's played really well. This is going to be his uh, a huge test for him because there's nothing deceptive here. I know we're all waiting to see who Wisconsin is going to put out there at quarterback, but it almost seems uh, like a supplemental piece in this offense because of what they want to accomplish on the ground. And Jonathan Taylor following the footsteps of Saquon Barkley as a former Rutgers commit going and becoming uh, the most productive running back in the Big Ten later on. And, and he's a guy who's been special since he stepped on campus there in Madison last year. It's hard to imagine he's only a sophomore right now. Uh, but again, I think with Penn State, um, you know, they're going to need to stop the run here. And this is a game that, you know, it's becoming obviously apparent on their end. Miles Sanders has to get involved. Uh, you got to be able to provide some answers. And you can't do these three, these stretches of three and outs because, like you said, uh, this has become the, the, the major thing for this defense. If it wasn't for all these snaps, you wonder maybe what the numbers would look like and what the win-loss total. But it is what it is, and this defense is taxed. I know they've tried to manage it during practice this week, uh, but I still expect the starters, you know, the top-tier players are going to get a ton of snaps again. Um, and if Wisconsin keeps them on the field, it's going to be the same result inevitably. You got the preemptive strike about the Rutgers commit thing. You, you've got it out you've of been learning. Got it out of the you've been learning. Very good. Um, Penn State's front seven um, has, as, as you mentioned, flashed at times. And I, and I do think, I think Taylor's going to get his yards. I mean, I don't think there's there's much stopping that. And whether that means he goes for 150 or, or 125, I mean, that's not the worst thing in the world as long as you keep him out of the end zone, which is, you know, easier said than done. But at the same time, uh, positives on that front four, uh, Eder Gross, Gross Matos is playing at a different level right now probably Penn State's I would say best defensive player right now over the last month of the season uh Sharif Miller who I always like more than everybody else has, has been there uh the defensive tackles you know there's just such a difference in the in the first and second string uh Windsor's got some some brain farts at times and it's really cost them Givens is is 
active, although he's not showing up on the stat sheet. I think they're fine. It's just that the depth has just been killing them. So it's been uh, really interesting to track that group, and they're going to need all those guys healthy. They're going to need all those guys in the game um, probably as much as they can against Wisconsin because this is a, this is a pivotal one for them. Sure, and, and you know, at defensive tackle, the, the, it's been so much on the, on the shoulders of Givens and Windsor and, and you know, had an opportunity on Thursday morning. There was a media session with Sean Spencer, and whenever you get Coach Chaos on a phone call, it, it's it's must listen uh, because you know he really delves into it with these guys the good the bad who's progressing who needs work and he actually said Kevin Givens and you said you know he's not blowing up the box score but he said he feels like Kevin Givens has strung together the best football of his career the last few games and you can say that for a few of these guys certainly for Etor Grossmatos you know Shaka Tony becoming more well rounded obviously he had a huge flash moment against Indiana. Uh, but, but Sean Spencer saying, you know, he is now becoming a, a complete kind of package, really praise the intelligence um, and, and just ambition from a football IQ standpoint for Shaka Tony. And I think the one guy, you know, th- that you're still waiting to see come on a little bit, Shane Simmons, you know, it's been five weeks or so now since he was cleared to return. Is that snap count going to continue to go up? It seems like Sean Spencer believes he, he is on the verge of maybe turning a corner and, 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 you know, getting those feet underneath him because, you know, you can't just plug and play somebody in the trenches in the Big Ten. Uh, so I'll be curious to see how that project uh, continues. But inside, you talk about the depth. P.J. Mustafer, Spencer saying this is his best week of practice uh, as a college athlete. Uh, that's promising. And, and there's a lot of confidence right now that, that he's somebody who can handle a larger dose of snacks. We'll see if that's the case. This would be the time to do it against Wisconsin. He did mention there's still transition going on with C.J. Thorpe, still trying to figure things out as he moves over from the offensive line. And he also you know, put a lot of shine in the direction of Antonio Shelton. He feels like Shelton's made a lot of strides. But I think Mustafer is one to watch uh, maybe on an expanded rep, uh, expanded sample size. This could be a game you see a lot more of the true freshman. Did you just pull out the best week of practice thing? Because I think we've learned that, that that's dangerous. That was that was strictly regarding PJ Mustafer. So, you know, it, oh, thank God. Based, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> so based on the overall track record, you know, that means we're going to see Mustafer what get pancaked repeatedly. No, I, I think I think this was strictly Mustafer. I'm not saying he feels like this was the best practice for defense or defensive line. I don't think we'll be hearing that from the staff at any point for the duration of this 2018 season again. Uh, but yeah, uh, high hopes on Mustafer and where he's at nine games into his college career. Yeah, and I and I share that sort of enthusiasm for him. He's he's shown some good things, and and I you know it's, it's been about consistency with those young guys. Um, you know, you haven't seen it from Thorpe, but you've seen some nice things from Mustafer. I think that that's a promising future right there. And for for the most part, uh, I mean, everyone should be back next year. You never know what what could happen with attrition or anything like that. But you know, it should be a pretty decent group next year, and they'll start to round about as they get those 2015 or excuse me 2016 2017 recruiting classes. You know, sort of patch up so um one level back i'm looking at jan johnson looking at cam brown looking at potentially micah parsons uh michigan on the first two drives of the game really showed that penn state's box linebackers were you know they were sort of out of their league so um curious what happens this weekend with wisconsin those guys um you know i i do think we see more of micah parsons i you know i've been saying for a long time that we should see more of micah parsons we saw a little bit of him playing with the first team d on wednesday night of practice so that's a that seems to be a positive sign i'm curious how much uh you know slack he has and you know cam brown i think is playing at a pretty decent level right now so the linebackers i think are are okay. I don't think they're, you know, where everyone wants them to be. That's fine. And, and that's, that's a fair criticism, but I think they're okay. It's going to be a huge challenge though with Taylor coming up. And beyond the uh, rushing game that obviously Wisconsin's going to try to, you know, be relentless with, there is another, you know, it seems like a common theme for this team, but they're dealing with another talented tight end, Jake Ferguson. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about Pat Fryermuth and his first college season, the impact he's made. Uh, they've got a pretty good one up in Madison as well, coming into town. Uh, Ferguson, multiple catches in every Big Ten game, uh, nearly 15 yards per catch, which stands out at that position, um, and three touchdowns in the Big Ten. So uh, it's been a consistent theme. Iowa, uh, Michigan, Gentry reaches the end zone. Uh, And then this week, Ferguson is another guy you're going to have to account for, whether that's your linebacker group, someone stepping up out of the safety spot. But, uh, uh, you know, it's a position that's been a concern with these opponents pretty consistently lately. 
Yeah, and and Wisconsin's passing game isn't really going to scare anybody. Like you said, you're not you're not really sure who's going to be in there. Um, but seven point two six yards per attempt. Um, you know, it's not uh, it's not one that's going to beat you downfield. I think we see Penn State play some man this week, and I think they're going to be able to do that. Uh, AJ Taylor's got twenty four catches. Ferguson's got twenty five, and and Danny Davis, pretty good freshman out of Ohio, has twenty five as well. Um, one guy that Penn State recruited. Um, it's uh, it, it's not really it, it's a weird passing game because. I, I honestly, I don't think the, either of the quarterbacks are, are all that great. Um, you know, I watched them through high school and was never really blown away. I was really kind of surprised that uh, Hornybrook went to Wisconsin and, and Jack Cohn was a guy that had a lot of pub, but when you put on the tape, he just really didn't pop all that much. Um, and, and I think the passing game is kind of reflective of that, but their short passing game is, is not really, you know, it doesn't really utilize the running backs as much as you would think. Uh, Taylor has just seven catches on the year. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it'll stretch you out from side to side before it stretches you out vertically and the possibility for picks is there hornybrook's thrown eight interceptions this year so it's a really bad interceptions this, this year so need to capitalize on them i i honestly you know i look at this game and it's a lot like the iowa game in terms of uh you know sort of disjointed offensive personnel and you know you know what you're going to get from the running game but the passing game is really the wild card for wisconsin and and penn state i think has an advantage there you're on the money with the turnovers uh you know potential especially with hornybrook Cone, we just haven't seen enough of him really to establish whether or not he's a turnover-prone kind of quarterback, and we'll see if he gets his shot here at Penn State. But Hornybrook misses that Northwestern game, uh, you know, concussion protocol, evaluation there. But the other three appearances he's had since then, Michigan, Illinois, Rutgers, two interceptions in each of those games. So that's a trend for him. And Penn State, we've seen a little bit more opportunistic tendencies from this defense. It would be huge for them to take a step forward, um, be able to force a couple turnovers here in the game. Easier said than done, of course, as well. Uh, But I I think when you look at this passing game overall, Davis is the guy to watch, I think, at receiver. He's come on strong during as his freshman year. Uh, Four catches against uh, Illinois three weeks ago, then five against Northwestern, six against Rutgers, and a touchdown against Rutgers. He's been pretty productive. Meanwhile, A.J. Taylor, um, a guy who's been part of this offense longer, he only has six total catches the last four weeks. So uh, if you're looking for kind of the ascending player in the passing game, I think Davis is the one to watch. Yeah, Danny Davis is a good player. Penn State recruited him. They were kind of hot and cold on him and, and a few guys from Springfield. Uh, you know, it, it was last year, I believe it was. Um, had him in for a visit. Um, just really things never really took off. Ended up at Wisconsin. I think he's a pretty good player. Um, but uh, and I think he's just going to get better out there. Wisconsin defensively, uh, they've had their issues as well. I mean, you, you look at last week, a 14-point win over uh, Rutgers where, you know, they didn't look in sync at all. So, um um, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup. 4.7 yards per carry. Uh, defensive tackle. I'm going to butcher it. Uh, Olivi Sagapolo out for the season, and he is a he's a load man. He's a senior. All Big Ten honorable mention guy um, had uh, arm surgery, I believe, this week, so he's out for the season. That's a big blow because they're replacing him in this three-four defense on the nose with a with a freshman uh, nose tackle. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be a spot, a spot where Penn State could could probably attack. Yeah, we just spent some time talking about Penn State and, and and their need for depth and their need to handle things on the defensive interior. I think this is a an opportunity for Penn State, better than they've had since their trip to Indiana, quite frankly, uh, for them to really get the ground game going. And I would anticipate we'll see that early. You know, Miles Sanders into the into the second half last week had five touches. Um, to me, this feels like a game where Miles Sanders, I'm surprised if he doesn't get 20-plus touches in the contest. Um, you know, and, and, you know, we'll see. Uh, if, if they want to pound that early, um, I, I just think Wisconsin right now, you mentioned a, a true freshman having to step in there, guy who hasn't been necessarily productive during his time on the football field so far. Um, you know, that, that's a lot to ask for on the road. And, you know, the offensive line, it, it's something that we focused on early as, as making steps forward. And all summer we heard about how the offensive line was going to be good. And people were very, you know, weren't quick to jump on that belief system. They wanted to see it before they believed it. I think early signs, you know, you look at the Illinois game, the way they controlled things. But really since then, um, it is tapered off. That you know, that excitement, the momentum with this offensive line. We've seen unsettled situation at right tackle with Will Fries and Chaz Wright both failing to solidify themselves as a starter. And this has been a healthy group. You know, it's been the, the six guys who have been involved have been out there every week. And oftentimes, when you see that continuity, you see offensive lines progressively get better. And that's such a key component of a football program. And 
and yet that hasn't been the case for Penn State. Miles Sanders uh, told, us, told us on a phone call this week that he actually led the running backs uh, you know, in, in kind of an impromptu uh, walk over to the offensive line meeting room on Sunday. They wanted to let those guys know that they appreciate them, that they still believe in them, and also, and also just acknowledge that the ground game is struggling right now and everyone's frustrated. So it was kind of a clearing of the air, um, you know, everyone looking in the mirror together in some ways and also showing that they had each other's back. And, you know, Miles said he did most of the talking there. But we'll see if they, you know, if they can come out and, and that has any kind of impact in the way they perform uh, as a cohesive rushing unit against Wisconsin, because I think you can run on the Badgers. Yeah, I think you can. Uh, like I said, 4.7 yards per carry. Um, we, we saw some things at practice on Wednesday night that were, were interesting to say the least. So, um, you know, bound by what we what we can say and what we can't say. And uh, coming out of that, it's, it was interesting to us very, very much so. Um, what's interesting to me, uh, Trace, will he be able to run? I wasn't at practice last Wednesday for Halloween. You were there. Obviously, when you, when you saw the finished product on Saturday, he was not, you know, close to 100% or anything like that. I thought, you know, and you said it earlier the the team on on Wednesday night looked a lot more fluid than than we've seen in the last couple of weeks and and I thought Trace moved a little bit better um especially in terms of throwing you know was planning okay and doing okay like that I think the quarterback run once again this week can be big uh whether it's Trace whether it's Tommy uh Stevens playing some lion and I think we'll see uh, a healthy dose of him maybe more than we've seen of him you know in the in that gadget uh role this week so I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Penn State can do with its with his quarterbacks because with Wisconsin's defense, you know, can, as you mentioned, can be run on. Yeah, Trace, I mean, you know, stuck around after practice, you know, kind of the same old situation, throwing the ball with KJ Hamler and DeAndre Tompkins uh, after practice. So, you know, he was in no hurry to, to get off the football field and get his legs up or anything like that. Um, so, you know, he's taking that same course uh, that he does every game week. And, you know, he has the knee brace. You know, last time we saw him, that wasn't the Trace McSorley people have grown accustomed to. Um, obviously, I think some of that does fall on his offensive line. Much of that falls on, the, on a supporting, uh, you know, group that hasn't really taken a step up for him. But yeah, I mean, Trace has not been sharp as a passer, and when you take away his ability to run effectively, it really limits what he is about, what this offensive attack is about. And you know, Tommy Stevens, pretty candid conversation. Really enjoyed getting to, to talk with him in a media session this week. You know, he said he's always on high alert. You know, he knows that people are really looking toward him right now as potentially coming in the game. And I think what will be interesting is is how Franklin and Ronnie and the staff manage how they want to deal with that situation. If McSorley doesn't take a step forward, if he looks a little bit like he did last week, you know, Franklin expressed some regret about letting it stretch all the way late into the third quarter before they made a change. Does that mean that that Alicia shorter? Of course, we weren't going to get that answer from James Franklin this week, uh, but you know, it's something to monitor here. You know, how many series do you give it? You know, if there's three and outs, if Trace is unable to avoid the rush, if he can't create with his legs, how long do you let that go? And I, trust me, the fans will be very attentive at Beaver Stadium. Uh, watching on television because I think that is uh, you know something that everyone's going to be focused in on. We were we were focused in last week, and when you saw the end result, uh, it's even more magnified here coming back on home turf. The staff is so big on on staying in schedule or staying on schedule um, offensively, and obviously Penn State was was just knocked off track several times last week against Michigan. I think you know the key to this Trace Tommy sort of thing is if Trace can keep them on the field, can move the football, get some first downs, get that defense a little bit rested. This defense has been run ragged. I mean, it's been it's been a, a situation that's uh, you know there aren't too many precedents when we're talking about Penn State's defense being on the play on the field as many plays as they have been. So if he can keep them on the field, you know, and that's going to come back to him. He's got to be more accurate. He's got to be, you know, a, a guy that can still run and pick up th- some some yards with his legs. That's on him. But uh, I think that's really what it comes down to. And I think that's a big key in the game overall. You got to keep your offense on the field, and you've also have to win the the, the special teams battle. Blake Gillikin obviously has been all over the map. He kicked one about ninety yards last week, but at the same time, you know, he's he's got some shanks this year. Wisconsin's punting game is, I think, last in the Big Ten right now. So um, you've got an opportunity while they haven't allowed too many returns. um, That's a product of of not really having a good punter. So it's been, um, I think it's going to be interesting that battle head to head special teams and, uh, 
once again, and we talk probably five or 10 minutes on this every week, is the receivers need to step up. They need to make plays. We saw some changes at practice last night, a little bit more Jahan Dotson in there, and a little bit of your boy Justin Shorter, who, uh, you know, people refuse to accept that he's been hurt most of the season and uh he's starting to come back and around and you know he's he's not going to be your number one as soon as he comes back but i think you know the odds of seeing him over the next couple of weeks very good really excited to see what he can do yeah well let's face it sean if this offense was clicking and and if the passing game was working and guys were involved and the veterans were were consistent there would not be as as much attention on Justin Shorter's absence. But the fact is, you only have two receivers to this point who have caught more than 12 passes. We're nine games into the season. So obviously you're thinking, well, the receivers aren't producing. We happen to have the best one in the country. How hurt is he? You know, and, and he's been out there for pregame. And, and you know, I still think it, it may be more likely, you know, if they want to juggle him and, and George in the next two games, I do think they're going to push it, you know, to the ceiling with, with as many of these guys as they can you know, get them involved in those four games because uh, I think it's important for, for a lot of these players. I think the same thing goes for probably Jason Oway, maybe Nick Tarburton on the defensive line. I think we'll see more of those guys moving ahead in the next few weeks. But yeah, Jahan Dotson has obviously kind of been the talk around town this week in terms of a guy who could provide that jolt. Five catches so far in his career. Um, they've each resulted in first downs, which, you know, Franklin says it's coincidence, but he also says it's further proof that they got to get the ball in his hands. I think the one thing a lot of people are wondering out there, we've heard it, you know, whether it's on our message boards, you know, on Twitter, just general conversation is, can you find a way to get him and Hamler on the field together at the same time this season? You know, Franklin addressed that on his radio show last week, saying that Dotson has really been, you know, focused in on the slot. Uh, that's where they want him, but you know, just just something to to, to look at moving ahead. And um, I, I do think you know, John Dotson has all the abilities. You know, the way people talk about him in this locker room, uh, the way the staff has talked about him since he got to campus, um, he's a guy who's going to have, I think, a, a major amount of of reps coming his way during these next three weeks um, and into the bowl game. Um, and, and he's somebody who I think is going to continue to really carve out. Uh, a key role heading into next year um, and you know, next year is next year, but I think he's somebody who in the next few weeks uh, could prove that he's going to be a staple of what they want to do on offense in 2019. Franklin said last week, no more red shirt for Jahan Dotson. Just a reminder, Daniel George has played in two games, Justin Shorter in one. Uh, you mentioned Jason Awe and Nick Tarburton. They've each played in two. Um, and, and aside from that, you've got, uh, I think Rasheed Walker and Zach Koontz and a couple other guys that have played in, in, in a couple uh, of games that, aren't really in danger of losing their red shirt. Um, so uh, interesting. We'll, we're going to talk about that more probably after the season in terms of retrospect and what you could have done and, you know, what they did and how they approached it. And I think they're going to learn from it. Um, for now, uh, it's uh, it's a situation where you're at the, at the spot where you're almost over that waterfall. You can play these guys the last couple of weeks. I mean, Awe and, and Shorter are Jersey guys. You take in the Rutgers and play them there. Daniel George is a Maryland guy. You play him against Maryland. I mean, it's, it, it's much deeper than that. You have to have them in the, you know, in the game plan and in the practice reps and all that kind of stuff. But it's, uh, it, it, I think it's just from from my vantage point, it's just fascinating to see how this stuff has worked out. Obviously, Shorter's plan and and the plan they had from him derailed by that injury in camp, and uh, they've just had to go from there. But uh, aside from that, it's been it's been fascinating to watch guys like Dotson who have essentially taken that red shirt and and, and taken it off themselves. So yeah. Uh, yeah, lessons learned for this staff, no doubt about it. We, we might not hear about them all, uh, um, but you know, I know we won't hear about them all, but I'm sure they learned some things that, that maybe they would have done differently, and they'll carry that into next year. But let's face it, this is you know this is new territory for every college football program. I'm sure there's going to be some regret in circumstances, some missed opportunities in circumstances you know, across college football this year, and, and we'll see what they do next year. And I think it's interesting, two of the guys, I know we don't want to go too deep in the retro conversation, but two of the guys who have already passed that, that threshold and have burned their red shirts, curious to see what happens for them the rest of the way here. Uh, Jesse Lucchetta, do we maybe see him get involved at linebacker again at some point? He's been very restricted to special teams, been valuable on special teams. And then Ricky Slade, obviously, there, there's been kind of the uh, the bat signal has been put up for Ricky Slade among the fan base there, wondering where he is. Uh, but, you know, I think those two guys bear monitoring as well because we know Jake Pinniger, Raphael Cheka, Micah Parsons, Pat Fryermuth, and now Jahan Dotson, they're going to be pretty integral parts uh, of every game. 
Exactly, exactly. Moving on, recruiting this weekend, Penn State, a couple of official visitors coming in, a couple of really big official visitors coming in, sort of tracked under the radar here. Uh, running back Noah Kane out of IMG Academy in Florida, originally from Louisiana, played played in Texas. He's been all over the place. Um, and, and Devon Ellis from uh, McDonough High School in Maryland, who is a uh, former teammate of P.J. Mustafer. Both of these guys come in, um, and you, you've got opportunities at both spots where you can, you know, you can play fairly early. It's not ideal to play defensive tackle early but Noah Kane could seemingly come to Penn State next year and get on the field as a freshman so opportunity there Penn State wants to add to Devin Ford um, and it's uh, I think two guys that you know, d- despite where Kane is from, you, you've got a shot with uh, Kane, you know, I think was seen as an LSU lean, but uh, they've got some things going on. J- John Emery uh, decommitted from Georgia. He's probably going to go to LSU to team with Tyreon Davis or Tyreon Davis, who Penn State was after as well. Um, so does, if he gets shut out at LSU, that's a very good thing for Penn State. You've got some other schools in the mix. You've got Auburn, you've got Texas, you've got, uh, I think, Ohio State making a little bit of a push now as well. But Penn State surprisingly just seems to be in that top two, three level. And J1 Sider keeps sort of plugging away at Noah Kane. And, and, you know, honestly, I like their shot probably a lot better than logic would state that, that you should. Yeah, and another Sider special here because Noah Kane got that offer from Sider previously built that relationship when Sider was on the Florida Gators coaching staff. And, you know, you, you mentioned Noah Kane is, it, it, he's not, he's not easy to get a read on because he doesn't necessarily seem to have, you know, roots regionally. And he's, he's really taken a, a wide scope view of his recruitment. You know, obviously the fact that he took an unofficial visit to Penn state um, in, in May was, was an indication that he was willing to, to be pretty far ranging here, but you know, he will tell you that he considers Baton Rouge, Louisiana home, which I think is why a lot of people, you know, have zeroed in on LSU. But as you said, interesting situation there. Um, and, and you know what? I, I think, you know, when you look at this recruitment, where it is now versus where you thought it maybe could get to, it probably has gone, you know, to, to a greater level than than a lot of, you know, analysts anticipated. And, and I think with Penn State getting him on campus, this will be his second time. Um, mom and dad, uh, are they both coming up, Sean? Uh, are you aware of that? That's the plan, and they were both up for the Lash Bash weekend. Yeah. Kane, Kane was not up for the Lash Bash weekend. He came for an, uh, an unofficial in the springtime. Um, his parents liked it a lot. They came back. They're they're doing a lot of their research on their own. They've that's not the only school I think that they've gone to by themselves, but um, it's uh, it's one of a few. So that's a good sign. They like cider. They like Franklin. They like the the program and the opportunity that's here for him. Because you know if he gets on campus, you. You've got, uh, you know, Ford will come in in his class, Slade's in front of you, Journey Brown's in front of you, Miles Sanders here for another year. That's pretty wide open depth chart when you're talking about running backs, especially, you know, at a position where you can make an impact as a freshman, especially, you know, as, as a guy that's played at that level at IMG. He's got the size to come in and compete right away. So certainly an, an attractive opportunity for him. The State College isn't an easy place to get to. And, and so for for Noah Kane's parents to make that trip, you know, on their own dime um, in the summer without Noah, you know, clearly the interest is legitimate. Um, and, and Noah Kane, you know, this is something we hear from a lot of the running back recruits, and it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit now because he's no longer with the program. But Saquon Barkley and his success is something that Noah Kane pointed to fairly early in a conversation that he and I had earlier this year. He, he just talked about how he really respected the way Penn State and James Franklin you know, kind of helped build Saquon's brand, made sure that a lot of the, you know, the positive stuff was out there about him. Saquon obviously did the heavy lifting for that effort, but he said it really, you know, he thought it showcased the way that Penn State is willing to put its players out in front and and give them every opportunity to to create their own brand because, you know, let's face it, athletes of this caliber, you, you can become your own brand and it can really pay off for you for the rest of your life. So, that's something folks are looking at. And a guy like Noah Kane, who, whether he was in Texas or at IMG Academy, he's been the center of attention for a bunch of Power 5 programs really since his freshman year. So coming down the stretch of a four-year process, essentially. And he says you know, he'll be on campus in January, wherever he picks. And his plan is to go and compete for a starting job.
Devon Ellis, a former teammate of PJ Mustafer, a teammate of 2020 uh, linebacker target Curtis Jacobs. Um, uh, this is a guy that Brian Dome put a 24 uh, 7 sports crystal ball pick in for, uh, I believe it was a week ago or two weeks ago. Depending on when this airs, mine might be in as well for Penn State. I think they're in a good spot here. Um, this is a guy whose who's offer list is kind of all over the place. You've got Ohio State in there, you've got Florida in there, Virginia Tech, and a couple others. I think uh, I just saw right before we recorded that USC offered him, which USC is offering a lot of guys. Uh, you know, in this area fairly recently. Um, but yeah, I think in your search for de- defensive tackles, and as much as I rag on the people who say, you know, you, we need DTs and all that kind of stuff, um, it's uh, it, it, it's certainly an opportunity for them to, to close on one. And and the, um, the, the pickings are slim. We talked about this probably two episodes ago, three episodes ago. When you look around the region, there's really not much. Um, you've got Ellie's, Harrison Hunt, a couple other guys, mid-level guys, but, uh, you know, you, you'll, you'll take what you can get in this opportunity. Penn State has been looking to solidify that because you see what depth, uh, what, what when you lose depth at that position, what can happen very fairly quickly. So Penn State, I think, zeroing in on Jared Harrison Hunt, zeroing in on Devon Ellis, bringing him in for an official, and it's a it's a big opportunity for them. And you know, if he were to hop on board, which is not out of the question this weekend, you know, I think that would be a, a step in the right direction for this class. Yeah, and McDonough School is going to be one you figure Penn State will, will keep going back to that well because it seems they're going to keep having Power 5 level prospects emerge. And if you can you know, get a rhythm where you get a couple of years in a row producing uh, you know, players from that school, you know, th- that's good long term. But you know, don't look past the, the, the relationship that's in place between Mustafer and Ellie's. You know, Ellie's really fond of, of their time together at McDonough. Um, the stats in 2017 I thought were interesting to look at. Uh, when PJ was a, a senior and Ellie's was a junior, PJ Mustafer 14 sacks, 17 tackles for loss. Ellie's 13 sacks, 17 tackles for loss. So uh, very productive together. Um, you know, it, it's obviously got to be a positive thing that he's seen PJ get opportunities here as a freshman. He's not thought of to be in that, I guess, tier that PJ was in last year as a top five, uh, top 10 overall defensive tackle. But um, I think this is a guy that if he's ready to roll and he's ready to commit, you know, you welcome into the class with open arms uh, because defensive line continues to be a spot where we're just kind of assessing, waiting, and, and guys are pushing their decisions along later. Ellie's is a prime example. It seemed for a while there that he wanted to have his recruitment wrapped up. You know, by the end of the summer, heading into his final co- uh, high school season, um, I think a big part of it is Penn State showed increased interest. Other Power Five schools have entered the equation, and you know he kind of stepped back, let some of things come to him, and, and now he's kind of reassessing. And, and now he's in that final stretch with a few interesting options. But I think Penn State seems to be in a good spot. This is a guy that cut his list down to five with Penn State on it while he did not have a Penn State offer. Then he cut it to three and then Penn State offered. Then he opened it back up. So I think obviously the interest has been there for a while. Ellie's a you know, McDonough kid, sharp kid. Um, so the opportunity is there to, to close this weekend. And if they you know press hard and do what they can, I think they can, they can finish that one off. So um, interesting sort of prospect. I mean, you you look at PJ and he's six four and a half two ninety looks you know a beautiful looking kid as a as a three technique and, uh, and then you go to Ellie's who's probably six one six one and a half um, two eighty two eighty five he's more in the uh, and I'm not sure you're familiar with Ali Ogbu who was here um, you know in the last decade uh, shorter guy explosive guy he's got some athleticism um, can move around I'm not sure that he's ever going to be a three hundred pounder or anything like that but he can be active and he can be in there so curious to see what uh, uh, how he develops over the next couple of years and, and could very well be, um, you know, as, as a Nittany Lion. Beyond that, um, a couple of honors for Penn State's linebacker commits. I feel like we talk about Brandon Smith and Lance Dixon here all the time. These are two guys that are really good, really, really good players. I mean, they're, they're, they're good high school players. They're good high school linebackers. Dixon, maybe more of an athlete, just rover, does whatever the hell he wants for, for West Bloomfield out in Michigan. But uh, two really good prospects for Penn State to work with and two guys I think can see the field very early yeah two interesting career paths for these guys because you've got Lance Dixon who you know is he kind of a safety you know he's more in that he's more towards the back end um, then he's developing he's growing into a linebacker and Brandon Smith is is a player who there's been a lot of thought during his high school career, career if he should be at defensive end with his hand in the dirt you know his former high school coach who has since uh, moved on from that program he told me he, he, the, that's what their plan was, but then they just felt like they were comfortable with him at middle linebacker, and they left him there for his junior year. He had a great year, 
He's over 100 tackles uh, through the regular season. Playoff start for him this weekend. Unbeaten Louisa County team. Uh, and he had a great game last week. Regular season finale, 15 tackles, three tackles for loss, three forced fumbles. And then Lance Dixon, meanwhile, offensively showing out in front of James Franklin. Remember, he's up in Michigan. Uh, Franklin was obviously in Michigan last week, and he made it a point to be on the sideline to catch Lance Dixon in person, rush for a touchdown in a playoff game, and then he caught the game winner in overtime. So both of those players making the most of, of their final you know, prep opportunities, and they'll be on campus before we know it because January is going to come. They'll be enrolling, and I think it's going to be really interesting at linebacker. Now, mention the infusion of, of two quarterback prospects. We've talked about them before, but I think at linebacker, it's going to be really interesting because you've got Charlie Catshear who's been behind the scenes developing, Jesse Lucetta burning his red shirt, Micah Parsons burning his red shirt, Ellis Brooks getting his first long looks at the college level. And then you've got these two really interesting dynamic athletes who, who both have very different skill sets. As I said, Brandon Smith veering towards that big-bodied six foot five, 230-pound prospect, and Lance Dixon, a guy who's been more of that rover, as you said. I think there's a lot of interesting dynamics, and it's an interesting infusion of athleticism into that group. Those two positions that everybody gripes about, and rightfully so, defensive tackle, linebackers, Penn State has obviously had their challenges there. Recruiting seemed to be on the men, seemed to be going in the right direction, and and I like the strategy. You're not forcing yourself to take another third linebacker or just take some extra guys just to take some extra guys. We've seen Penn State do that and hasn't worked out well in the past, but um, I think they're in an okay spot, still probably a year or two away um, from, from a a dominant uh potentially dominant unit there but at the same time i think it's trending in the right direction and and they're moving that way otherwise uh, on campus this weekend uh nolan rucci son of todd rucci was an offensive lineman at penn state in the 90s his brother's committed to wisconsin going to be up here for the game a couple of youngsters from from imhotep which is a you know a familiar school to penn state ashim young was was from there uh shafiq smith is a really good 2021 corner st mcleod as a uh, 2021 safety i keep saying 2021 and I know that's not very interesting to a lot of people, and it's it's scary to think about you know how, how far out that is. But Penn State, and this is a stat when I was looking up something when I was writing for Rucci today, Penn State's offered three 2021 kids in, in the class of uh, or in, in Pennsylvania in that cycle. Only two in 2020. I mean, it's it, it's crazy to think. You, they've offered Rucci, they've offered Kyle McCord, and they've offered, offered Derek Davis out in Gateway. So three 2021 offers versus two 2020 offers. Obviously, Julian Fleming, Michael Carmody. Um, so it's uh, it's it's crazy to think about Pens- or Pennsylvania, as we mentioned again next year, probably going to be down again. 2021, starting to see a little bit of a surge of that talent come back up, and obviously that's where Penn State needs it to be. That's remarkable because I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the the prep, the JUCO guys excluded here from the conversation among the high school class in 2019. I think Porter was the third high school player to get an offer from Penn State, and that didn't come until what two months before his senior season. So talk about a, a stark difference in and what that class is shaping up to be early with three offers already out in state. That is something to watch for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's so crazy to think about 2018 versus 2019 where the drop off was, you know, Keaton Ellis is there. Penn state had offered Aaron young and, and Joey Porter, but, uh, in, in, um, in, uh, excuse me, in 2018, um, they're, five offers, uh, excuse me, in 2019, there were five offers, including the JUCO kids in 2018, several more with Parsons and Koontz. And I can't get my computer to load fast enough um, to take this one. But uh, no, it's just, it's interesting, 16 offers in in, in 2018 for that uh, Pennsylvania class. So just to drop off that far is something that's, that's challenging to deal with. Penn State, I think, has handled it by, you know, casting their net a little wider. They got some guys in in New England that, that, uh, you know, are comparable to what you would get in, in Pennsylvania. And so it's just really, really, uh, I, I, I use interesting too much, but it's, it, it's kind of deflating if you're Penn State to look out there and see Georgia, you know, with, with 44 stars, to see Louisiana doing their, their talent, even Ohio and, and, and Jersey much better. So um, Penn State, I think, needs that to be healthy to recruit, but at the same time, they've, they've done a nice job countering it. I think it goes without saying, but sometimes I'd, wonder with with the way people react to these offers and lack of offers Penn State would love to offer 30 guys in their state every year you know it but if they evaluate 
and a guy's not worthy of an offer, it doesn't matter if he lives, you know, 20 miles from campus or if he lives 2,000 miles from campus. They've got to stick uh, to what they determine, uh, you know, is is worthy of that scholarship offer. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, Penn, this isn't a matter of Penn State, you know, expanding its national brand, which it is, but it's not a matter of them turning the back on local talent. It's a matter of them saying, well, we, we've reviewed this, you know, these guys who are through their high school junior years, you know, maybe we can come back on some of these guys, circle back, reevaluate, get them on campus, get a better look and get some new testing numbers. Um, but you can't offer guys just because they're around and just because you think it might be an easy addition to a class. You know, some schools have to do that, um, but Penn State's in a position right now that, that that's what not what they need to be doing as they look to build a championship contender. Just looking over that 20 2016 or excuse me 2018 class the 16 guys that were offered in, in Pennsylvania uh, first of course Phil Yurkovic went to Notre Dame Daryl Simmons went to Virginia Tech Penn State really wasn't interested in him by the end Kyle Pitts went to Florida Chris Bleich went to Florida Blake Zubovic went to Pitt um, Bo Bauer went to Notre Dame Quantel Rains went to West Virginia we know that one didn't really uh, Penn State kind of went in the other direction with him as well and then of course Ashim Young and Shaquan Anderson Butts who they had in the boat and, the, and they went uh, in another direction for a couple of different reasons um, but seven commits uh, for Penn State in that 2018 class from Pennsylvania and if you look at the 2019 2020 and 2021 class I think they've offered eight prospects in that total so that's uh, pretty crazy when you think about the the difference in talent between the, the the 2018 class and the three classes right behind of course still early in 2020 still really early in 2021 so those numbers will change but just fascinating when you look at it like that uh, beyond that um, you, you I mentioned Mike Carmody already. We're going to talk a little bit uh, 2020 uh, offensive line recruiting. I put in a crystal ball last week for Grant Toutant from Michigan. He was in for a visit uh, two weeks ago for the Iowa game. So, um, you know, I like where Penn State stands there. I think they're in a really good spot with some of these guys. Penn State leads on the crystal ball for Carmody. They lead on the crystal ball for Aaron Parks, another guy that I'm pretty close to putting one in. Uh, same with Anton Harrison, Toutant, Zach Zinter up in New, New England, and then some other guys are still on the radar. I think Penn State uh, – setting the table for what should be a pretty good uh, offensive line class. If you look at the early rankings, if you look at the early offers and the hit rate that they could possibly have, I think the 2020 offensive line class is going to be, it's going to be really, um, it's got special potential. And the offensive line in general, you know, I, I know Nana Asedu, obviously the loss of him is big, but I think we all think Rashid Walker can be a special player and they're building that depth. And, you know, I, the offensive line is going to continue. I think, you know, next offseason is going to be the same thing. There's going to be a lot of talk about it taking a step forward because I think the talent level is definitely improving. They haven't had to rush young players into that group as quickly. So there's some emerging talent down there. And I know people will not be satisfied until – they get a full 12-game stretch of dominant O-line play, but they've got the makings and the groundwork of long-term, you know, too deep that you can work with. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, switching positions here, Penn State offered Anthony Richardson a Florida uh, quarterback commit in the 2020 cycle uh, this week. That's another interesting subplot. I talked about, about this on our board at Lions 24-7 where you look across and you see these 2020 quarterbacks out there and most of their offers, I think all but one offer so far, are committed to, uh, to other programs. Penn State's got Michael Johnson and Taquan Roberson. Obviously, you'd like to take a, uh, a quarterback in every class, but it, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And, and looking across the country, probably a good time to have two quarterbacks in that 2019 class because the 2020s are either off the board or they're, they're, they're going to be pipe dreams. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, you know, Zembex, uh, you know, you lose a scholarship guy there. McSorley's gone. Stevens, you know, it, it's going to be a one-and-done situation for him after McSorley's gone. So I think as many legitimate guys as you can get, you know, in the situation uh, for 2020 especially and beyond is going to be crucial because as great as Sean Clifford looks right now, you know, it's still a ways away. And, and I think Levis has really done a nice job on the scout team. These two guys are interesting, though. They're different talents. Daquan Roberson, I think, has further progressed as a passer, but – Michael Johnson, he, he just has the, the athleticism that you, you kind of, you know, if someone's going to be the next lion, maybe it's Michael Johnson. I'll put it that way. He's a guy who looks like he can play a few different positions, whereas Roberson, I see a lot of similarities to Trace McSorley there. Different guys, and I think that's a good thing to have guys who can play different styles. You can see where you are uh, schematically as an offense at that point. Uh, and you're right. I mean, to bring in two players in, in 2019, it, it takes some of the heat off you for 2020. But as we've said in the past, I think it's imperative 
uh, to try to pick up a quarterback that you like every single class. You don't take, uh, you know, you don't have a lapse in that. You don't just, you know, I think, I think you have to keep that, that flow going because quarterback's such a tricky one to figure out how guys will progress. And let's face it, ideally, you're only playing one at a time. Usually by now, Penn State has identified a top guy, you know, Justin Fields a couple of years ago. Um, you know, Roberson was committed at this time last year, I believe. So you usually identify a couple of top guys. And, and um, you know, when Roberson was committed, of course, Garrett Schrader was on the on the, uh, the the radar as well. So right now, you just don't see that guy. And I think that's really interesting to to, to Note that uh, nobody really jumps out at you in the region either. Parker McQuarrie from New Hampshire camp this year. Mike Alamo from New Jersey camp this year. A couple of kids from Pennsylvania, pretty good players. Evan Simon and Jack Salopak and Will Howard and a couple others. Good players, but nobody that really, you know, you could put over that edge to, to, to be a Big Ten winning quarterback or, you know, you, you never know how it's going to shake out, but nobody that really jumps off the page at you. So, you know, if it's uh, if it ends up that way, I could see Penn State, you know, trying to go national once again. Michael Johnson, I don't think, was on the radar at this time last year. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to follow because it's such a, you know, a premium position when you're filling out a class every year that uh, you really can't skip but at the same time you don't want to take one just to 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 throw a log into your quarterback room and i think penn state has identified i think that top guy in the 2021 class already and a lot of people have this guy near or at the top of their list i think in that cycle kyle mcclure kyle mccord um out of st joe's prep in philadelphia he looks like you know that that potential five-star guy coming out of philly um, and you know, a name to know early in that cycle as well. Well, yeah, McCord's there. Uh, Kayla Williams from DC looks really good for uh, for Gonzaga. So you know, there's already I think more talent in the region in 2021 quarterbacks than, than there is at 2020. So that's something to keep uh, keep in mind as well. So, uh, but anyway, that's a long way off. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about that probably in the next two years, I would guess. Um, but for now, I think that's probably a good way to end it. We're over 50 minutes. We appreciate you sticking with us. Got a good. 20 minutes of recruiting talk in there at the end, which, you know, we kind of got away from with the, the losses and everything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that, that that's a wrap. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. He's Tyler Donahue. I'm Sean Fitz. We will be around all weekend on Lions247.com. We hopefully will get parked and be able to make it to the game on Saturday. Never know. Knock on wood. Best of luck to anyone traveling to Happy Valley this weekend. And uh, I think I think that's it. That's it. And Sean, hold on. One one thing. You said I've been telling painful stories this week and and recently. So let me just say less painful. I'm predicting a Penn State win. I know you are. So all faith is not lost here on the podcast. All faith is not lost. No, I, I, I don't even remember the score that I picked. That's where I'm at right now. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think Penn State uh, uh, with the home field advantage, um, you know, they're, they're in a good spot. And Wisconsin as they've, they've not looked good. We'll, we'll say that. Well, I think they're very similar to Iowa. I think that uh, this is an opportunity for Penn State to get some turnovers, maybe get some defensive points. So yes, I like Penn State's chances. Not confident it's going to be a high-scoring game because, uh, you know, that went out the window a couple weeks ago. But, yes, you're right. Good job ending it on a high note. Uh, <laughs> Tyler has Penn State sure, by 30 or whatever. Um, but uh, thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast, and we will see you after the game. Can we get it? How can we get it? How we used to get it? Can we get it? How we used to get it? And I got racks on. Spent four nights in the country. I like to take my riches.